house in flowers. But some guy sit down there and write it. And when he wrote it, was it considered corny? I mean, I, there are certain pieces of music which seem so natural that you can never imagine anybody writing them. They're as natural a part of the horizon and the scene as the rocks, you know, the trees and the sand. For example, happy birthday to you, happy birthday. Did somebody sit down and write the happy birthday song originally? Happy birthday, dear Charlie Applewhite. Happy birthday from the accounting department to you. Good evening, friend. Arthur is... <laughs> What's the matter, Jim? You can see the thing to Martha Dean show, can't you? Uh, you know, uh, speaking of a sad little please, though, I, I have a plea here I want to make. Does anybody know, now, now seriously, I, I'm just very serious, uh, very serious question here. Does anybody know where I can get, and don't send me the name of a store that you saw one in, uh, you don't know anybody's got one or something, or if somebody's got one down the basement, they're trying to figure out some way to get rid of it or something. Do, do any of you know where I can get, for reasons of my own, which I will not reveal at this time, because say that it's reasons to bug the management here, that uh, <laughs> do any of you know where I can get a wooden aircraft propeller? Now, that's a reasonable request, isn't it? A wooden aircraft propeller. Just a big wooden propeller, and it doesn't have to be big, you know, a, a wooden aircraft, but a real one. I don't want, I don't want some kid to carve one out of wood or something. I want a real aircraft propeller, a wooden one. And don't call me up, send me a note about it, and uh, we'll see what we can do about it. I want a wooden aircraft propeller. You see, I want to use that propeller, among other things, to make a comment on the programming structure at... You know, for the sign, are you still in the biplane age? Oh, oh speaking of that, now seriously though, I want a wooden aircraft propeller, and I want to find out where, you know, anybody knows where I can have one here. Listen, uh, I don't know, uh, for a long time, uh, I, I have, I felt, and, uh, I, I'm certainly not alone in this. I think of everybody, practically everybody, who uh, thinks at all, uh, even if only rudimentarily, that uh, television, since it com comes into your house all the time, has uh, preempted reality uh, with many people. I mean, totally preempted reality. In fact, uh, so much so today that, uh, have you noticed out of the ball game? I, I went to the ball game the other day. I went, went out on the... On uh, Labor Day, I went out to see the doubleheader. See, well now here is a, you know, a fantastic game going on. I mean, there's the two three to two games. As a matter of fact, the White Sox were in, and they're one percentage point out of first place, and it's a gigantic battle for the American League pennant. And thirty thousand people are sitting out there in the stands. And the thing that I noticed about it, here I'm sitting down, and you know, in the stands, the crowd, whole crowd, people all around me. And what I kept hearing all around me was this phrase constantly, Hey, look, there's Jerry Coleman. Hey, look. And out there on the field, these guys are bad like an off of a printed, you know. And, and I look around and I see all these people sitting with their glasses watching the television announcers. 
of the uh, television uh, commercial or the radio commercial of today. There's certain, uh, oh yes, oh no, no, there, there are very many religious and ritualistic aspects of the commercial today. For example, if you notice how magic runs through them, and magic is an important part of all religions, and uh, certainly is. Uh, have you noticed how many witches show up now and clean the kitchen? That's right. Of course, that's, they, they've changed the whole idea of witches. In fact, if you remember anything about the witch, remember the one that had that gingerbread house? You know? <clears throat> Boy, wouldn't you bug them up in Maine if you built a house out of gingerbread? But, uh, you know, with raisins for doorknobs and stuff. But, uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, have you noticed how they changed witches? You remember when witches were bad? And now witches always show up and show the girl how to tame her hair. And that kind of but of course, I've always been fascinated by the hair shtick on TV. There's the, the, the biggest hair thing in the I, I think eventually, you know, uh, back in the 19th century, there was a mania for the waltz. And in fact, it got to the point where it's a psychological mania. You know, they, 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 call it, they call it the whirling dervish syndrome. And uh, everybody, every place, uh, waltz like insane, 24 hours a day. Well, I think that the 20th century version of that is the hair hang-up. Now, uh, if you watch television, no, it's magic. There's a magical quality to that, too. If you watch television, have you noticed connected with the hair hang-up is also the galloping infantilism syndrome? Have you noticed today that there are certain things you can buy in a bottle which makes your hair like when you were a little baby? You know, because for years you've been bugged because you weren't a baby anymore. And that for years you've been bugged because you, you know, you turned out to be this grown-up. And you know that grown-ups got a, it's a drag being a grown-up. First of all, you can't, you know, you can't crawl around on the floor and, and uh, you know, when you gotta go, you gotta ask for the, you know, that whole scene, you know, it's just a, and people won't let you get away with the stuff, you know, sitting around there with your thumb in your mouth and, and all that jazz. And now, at long last, uh, who is it? Who is it? Uh, is it Prell or is it Tame? Ding Dong Who? Uh, it doesn't make any difference. There's this company that says that you can buy now in the drug department at Magnus and Alexandria. You can buy this, uh, that's another, by the way, that's another religious practice, uh, Johnson's Wax. Oh, <laughs> Johnson. There's about 4,000 companies named Johnson that make stuff. I mean, ranging all the way from uh, athletic equipment. Uh, but uh, that's a universal word today, Johnson. However, but uh, Johnson Baby, oh yes, did you see that commercial? Oh! Did you see that commercial with the wrestlers and the guys fist fighting and the, with the welders and the riveters and they're advising them all to use Johnson's baby powder? But uh, <laughs> somehow, but it's, it's not done in the, you know, it's done in the sense that the, we told your mother we take care of you. I mean, indeed. It's going to be a very big surprise to my mother to know that the Johnson baby powder company told her that they would take care of me. Rotten, crummy, hairy old me. You know? But nevertheless, this is part of the you know, the whole thing. That uh, if you buy the one, I think most people feel vaguely let down, bugged by the fact that uh, there is one universal thief, and uh, somehow if you can blame it on the administration, you're okay. But uh, uh, even that, it doesn't help. There's the one universal thief, and that's time. Time is the universal thief. The universal thief, and if there's if somehow, if you can, if you can do something about it, if you can buy the right product, because you know we're a product-oriented country. Now, uh, other countries, 
We're no better nor worse than other countries. It depends on where you go for your magic. You see, we have a tendency to believe, because we're very introspective, that we're the worst of all possible people. And that's always the result of true, total introspection, because that means that you can't see anything around you if you're constantly involved in your own lotus leaf. You know, you're looking at your own navel constantly, and it gets to be such a dull navel, you know, after a while. There's so many great navels around. You gotta look at them. But uh, nevertheless, uh, if you if you become totally inverted, totally introverted, you don't see what's going on in the next pea patch, nor do you care. And so ultimately, you begin to believe that yours is either the best of all possible worlds or the worst of all possible worlds. Primarily because you don't know nothing about no other world, frankly, friends. And so, uh, if you if you buy you, know, you buy the panacea, well, since we are, uh, and, and this incidentally is the product of a of a frontier society where from the very beginning of, uh, of our country, the one thing that was always lacking was supply. The one thing. And so when the pilgrims landed on the East Coast, what did they need? Nail. They were really, yeah, they were really in trouble all the time. Supplies. You got the people over here, but you'd have to wait 19 and a half months for the next boat to arrive from Amsterdam or from Liverpool. And they'd have two kegs of nail. So, Equipment and stuff became very important. They became ingrained uh, into the people's minds, and they would save and hoard everything they had, because they, they had to. You see, it was a frontier society, and so as they moved west, the problem became more and more acute, because your supply lines became longer and longer. And so one day they wound up out in Utah someplace, and believe me, a nail was worth like ten dollars, and you could uh, money was nothing. That's why these guys were always sitting around gambling. You, know, you see the pictures of them gambling on because money was worth nothing. Money is not worth anything unless you can buy something with it. And so, uh, you know, you got a big poker game, five thousand dollar poker game, who cares? But you didn't you didn't see anybody gambling with nails. You, you didn't see anybody throwing shoes in the pot, you know. And so uh, our, our whole our whole world became oriented to things. It had to be. Just an inevitable. And it didn't show and it isn't because there's a weakness in the American character. Or there's certain some kind of a quote materialism in the American character. All people who live on frontier terrain are like this. In fact, uh, uh, this is true of Israel. Uh, I, I was uh, I was uh, in the mega desert and thought, these people are the most materialistic people in the world. They have to be. I mean, every cup is worth like a, a fantastic amount because it was hard to get it there and hard to keep it there. And so ultimately, we would look for magic to things. Things represent liberation to us uh, and safety. And so today, everybody's caused by the fact that uh, we we clear up most everything. So you, 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 I mean, you know, uh, the, the normal things, the medicine has made gigantic strides and everything, but people still keep getting older. So what are you going to do? You're going to have to turn to the dispenser of magic, the thing world. Now, other people in other countries, uh, maybe they're 10,000 years old, and these countries are not nail safety. They don't need to be. You know, they've been there a long enough time, so they got a nail factory. This is the place from where all the supplies originally came. They don't have any color nails. They go for other things for magic, like uh, witch doctors. Uh, they have political panaceas constantly. Uh, they, uh, for example, uh, in France, you will find that on every corner there is a guy with a philosophy. On every corner ranging all the way from Camus to Cyprus to this guy named Pujad, 
and they're all panaceas. I mean, they're all in the same magic bag as a Johnson baby powder. <laughs> you know, I'm guaranteed to do it all, whatever the devil it is. You know, they'll take care of it, and your hair will be like baby hair now. Or, and uh, if we could do something about the tax structure, uh, life will be one long song. Everybody will sing all the time. It'll be beautiful. And um, so you find that uh, now, now, about the middle of the 19th century, there was a rise to the thing uh, called naturalism. Uh, this, this was a, a profound belief that if you could sit in a field and look at the Milky Way and uh, weave flowers into your hair, that life would be forever a simple, wonderful thought. You could become one with the turtle. Well, the only trouble is you got more hang-ups from the turtle. And that uh, no matter how high you try, it is impossible to erase your humanness, which is to say yourself, your self-consciousness. But then I just get, oh boy, it's just real problem. You know, you don't quite follow that? Well, uh, the turtle hardly ever sits with his legs crossed and says, what the hell is it all about? <laughs> it's only man, and he'll do it. I mean, no matter what happens. In fact, I got a great letter here. And uh, you got my, you got my Western music in there? Uh, here, here's an example. Now, I've seen this happen a couple of times, but here's an example. I got a letter from this guy, and he says, Note, this is an official, in-depth, powerful, penetrating letter, which searingly and mercilessly exposes the true nature of the crop on which we've been sitting for the past six eons. The reader is advised to put on the protective armor of his true righteousness. And he begins, he says, Cousin Gene, I have returned from the boondocks. Several months ago, I decided to split for Colorado to see how the rest of the world scratches and spits. Man, you think it's all happening here? I, should, I would say the hippies and the flower people are about a year behind the times in New York. I suspect that the trends of our times start in the West and gradually oozes its way east. Oh, I've said this for a long time. I've said, I've said you know, that, that New York is about, I would guess, a hundred, maybe uh, not as much anymore, but I would say close to a hundred years behind the rest of the country in many things. In other words, uh, in, in, uh, in the trend of, let's say, I believe that a new century, now you're getting me excited here, I believe that a new century does not begin the same time for all the people in any given geographical area. Now, it does only numerically. In other words, in 1900, uh, do you believe that the entire country the day after 1900 began? within the 20th century. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about such little trivial things as light bulbs, as uh, indoor John, anything like that. I'm talking about philosophically. Uh, let us face it, there is such a thing as a 19th century man. There is such a thing as a 20th century man. But I, I, I uh, submit that uh, two days after 1900 came in, the world was filled with large numbers of 19th century men who continued to be that until they died. And uh, there were very few 20th century men around. Well now, around 1900, I say, I would guess, that, uh, that the 20th century really was here in New York. Now, in other words, we were really ahead. And New York was the city that was ahead at the time in those days, 67, 68 years ago. But this is 1967. And uh, just like ever, any other corporate body, the thing which was once avant-garde becomes a few years later a bastion of conservatism. This is the nature of man. 
that uh, it's going to surprise a lot of avant-garde flower hippies to find in a couple of years they're going to be they're going to be defending the conservative position of the past, whatever it might be. Now, uh, this is this is the nature of man. He, uh, uh, once you're you've established your thing, you want to protect it because you think that thing is good. That's why you established it. And somebody else shows up with what he thinks is a better thing, and so you wind up fighting him all the way down the line. And then you become uh, you become conservative, or what is called conservative. Uh, so, in 1900, I suspect that New York was way ahead of the time. But in 1967, it stands defending an ideal which it established in, say, the 1890s. Have you noticed how many groups you've got all around town here who defend to the last breath, knocking down the slums? They write books about it. Even. Uh, in, in other words, they defend the idea of not knocking down the slums. That's a, did you find, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't word that right. But, but you find all over town all kinds of action groups that want to keep uh, uh, the old red brick buildings on Hudson Street intact. These crummy rat-infested buildings, you know, uh, where, where the air shaft uh, is probably the gamiest thing in seven counties. And uh, yet, that you find these groups, they're constantly, and the streets are narrow in New York, and the traffic is cars one on top of the other. It's like uh, some oriental city uh, with guys with push cars going across the street. And, you know, for four hours, you try to get through the 30s down here on 6th Avenue. This is exactly like, uh, let's say, Damascus. And I've been in Damascus, you know. So I'm not just talking out of out of uh, theory, but it is. We're, this city is as close to a, 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 a jammed Oriental, ancient, outmoded city as we've got in America. Now it's not it's not done because nothing can be done. It's because people resent things being done. And so the minute that say Lindsay decides to close uh, all truck traffic, let's say between the hours of eight and ten, four thousand you know groups jumped up and defended. Now, on the other hand, if he, if he says, we're going to widen, uh, let's say, we're going to widen 49th Street, 18 million people would be lined up in front of City Hall defending historical 49th Street, which is over six feet wide now, as you know. Uh, <laughs> 49th Street would be a narrow street, believe me, in Bangkok, friend. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we're defending this thing. Now, I'm, I'm, uh, now as you go further west, you find, as you know, as you go further west, they don't have that kind of sentimentality about the past. No, they don't. They really don't. So they'll knock down a whole section of the city because the section of the city is outmoded. I've seen this happen in Chicago. I've seen it happen in a lot of other cities. Now, they'll do this. Just completely knock it down. It's gone. I mean, level it. I don't mean a little building here, a little building there. You notice we've gone so far in our defending the outmoded past here in New York that they've even worked out a system now where you can take the guts out of a building and drop in a new gut, but still keep the same crummy old building, you know, if we knock ourselves out to do this. Now, now it took an infinite amount of uh, struggling, engineering-wise and all that, to do that. Now, it's not that they're beautiful buildings. Have you looked at them? I mean, they look like Frank Koswinski's garage, most of these buildings. Now, we, we invest them with beauty in our minds because most New Yorkers see beauty in the past. In fact, you find this worship of the past running through many, many New York publications. Uh, for example, practically every couple of weeks there's an article in the New York Times magazine. Uh, Old New York, the turn of the century in photographs. 
<laughs> shows a bunch of guys pushing barrels down the street wearing derby. Uh, or or uh, the New York, uh, the New Yorker will continually have pieces by E.B. White about the old days in Murray Hill when people would go out and walk their dogs and everything was gentle and beautiful and blues played in the trees and liars and huts and stuff. And obviously there were no fist fights or muggings in the alley. Or at least if they were there, uh, there wasn't much said about it. And so uh, the, 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 the idea of the past is very important in New York. Uh, New York is a city that is path-oriented. And, uh, and, and ultimately, the curious thing about it is that this produces a strange uh, backwardness even in the things which are supposedly forward. For example, uh, as you go along Park Avenue, the buildings that are put up uh, to replace old buildings on Park Avenue, a typical example of New York modernity, uh, these, these buildings are absolutely non-buildings. Uh, they're, 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 they're total non, uh, they're like no-cal buildings. Uh, do you follow the, 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 the reasoning here? They're no-cal buildings. Now, why are they no-cal buildings? Well, they're because if you're replacing something that is, quote, beloved, you should do so on a very dissident basis. <laughs> In other words, you do not put up, say, like Marina Towers, like in Chicago, which makes a definite statement. That not only knocks the neighboring down, the neighboring jump down, it says, here I am, man, I am here. And so you just replace it with little things that look like they're made out of Reynolds wrap, you see, that look like they're very temporary. You see, the temporary quality of these buildings along, as you walk along Park Avenue, is very pleasing to people who feel that one day the old red brownstones are coming back. <laughs> you follow that? In other words, the temporariness of the building is, is in a sense, a, an assurance that this too shall pass. But if you build some gigantic, did you notice how they fought when that, uh, when that uh, Frank Lloyd Wright thing went up on Fifth Avenue? Which really made a statement, man, I'll tell you. I mean, you dig it or not, this building is what it is. I mean, it, uh, I wish radio were grown up. I could tell you what this building has got. It has. Uh, <laughs> and, and that bugged people, you see. That, 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 that really bugged people. Not only did it, did it uh, you know, take one of those vacant lots from one of those old 19th century, quote, beautiful mansions, it not only took it, but it used it all the way. I mean, it's pow! You know, here it is, man. And so, as you go further west, I, I have to agree with this guy's letter, as you go further west, and this is not a, a hymn to the west at all, as you go further west, you will find that more and more of the things which come out of those areas are closer to what the 21st century will be like, for better or for evil. For example, uh, let's face it, Playboy comes out of Chicago, not New York. Now, I'm not putting any value judgment on Playboy, but Playboy certainly is further along the road to the 21st century than, let's say, the New Yorker, or let's say, Esquire which spends most of its time talking about Hemingway out of the 30s. <laughs> or what Fitzgerald really said to Gertrude Stein that historic afternoon in 1923, the time that Zelda got drunk and fell down the stairs and went at an ice cream cone at 4 in the morning. And so this is a, this is a kind of a uh, nostalgia for the past in the literary sense, a continual running over what, uh, you know, what, uh, what, what Steinbeck really said the time that he met O'Hara. In the, in the club in Newark, New Jersey in 1941. And uh, it, it, it seems, it, as long as you put it in, in, a, in a hip package, in other words, you get a real wild 
illustrated from the uh, <laughs> from, from, from the, the avant-garde school of illustration, that somehow makes the piece avant but it isn't, it isn't at all. When you read it carefully, you will find it's about things which are practically, let's face it, boxing is practically dead in America. By the 21st century, I will say that boxing will be looked upon with the same uh, curiosity as, say, cockfighting is. People will be surprised that it was ever at any point legal. In fact, uh, in, in the well, in past centuries, for example, in, the, in Shakespeare's day, bull baiting was a, was a legitimate sport. Uh, and bear baiting, where, where they would have, you would go, you'd pay your admission, and you'd watch a bear, let's say, fight a lion. And uh, it would have been very difficult to tell a man of that period that one day this would be looked upon with, uh, you know, it's, gee, isn't it a fantastic thing that right next to the Globe Theater they had this arena where uh, the bears used to fight the bulls and stuff like that? But it was a fact, and I say that boxing, which is obviously dying, uh, whether or not uh, you want to concede or not, but have you noticed that certain magazines make a big issue of boxing? This is another form of worship of the past. Uh, boxing is dying like, uh, and, and have you also noticed that boxing is a New York thing? I mean, they, they don't care much about boxing, believe me, in Denver. <laughs> I've been out there, oh, this is a, uh, and, and so, so ultimately, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the things which we defend quite often say of what our, our attitude towards the past and our attitude towards the present. And so you'll find that in certain magazines, constant articles are appearing about boxing, also. And this produces a gigantic yawn, the other side of the Hudson. But it causes a lot of excited talk in, uh, say, Mr. Laughs, <laughs> where they're filled. Have you noticed even the decor in places that are really in in New York are always turn of the century? Almost always. This new place, Tim Lizzie, for example, uh, Fridays, Mr. Laughs, these are all the late 19th century. Uh, I mean, Jim Brady would not see a lot of place if he were to go into some of these joints. And they're considered the newest, the, you know, the, 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 the way out in New York. Now, uh, we, we, this is where you really see the defense of what we really believe in in New York. And I say we, I'm not talking about the, the uh, uh, editorial we. Have you noticed that, that uh, here in New York, they make a big issue over uh, the Queen Mary, the passing of the Queen Mary? Well, I'll bet you couldn't get three tears going about that in Minneapolis. Well, does that show that they don't appreciate good things? No, not necessarily. They'll weep over other things that you wouldn't weep at all about. For example, you know what they really weep about in Minneapolis? Are you curious about it? They weep about the disappearance of the North Woods, which begins just north of Minneapolis, the great forest that uh, used to cover America all the way down from the Arctic Circle. And they weep. You couldn't get five guys to get, get into an argument over that in Sardis. You would not, Norman Mailer would not shed a tear, but he will shed a tear over the passing of boxing. He'll get all excited that the, uh, that the Queen Mary is gone, or some other cockamamie bit like that. However, <laughs> each man's got his own, his own particular hang-up uh, about the past and the present and the future. Now here uh, in Chicago, now here's an example. Recently there was a big furor in Chicago, right in the middle of town, right in the loop area. They put this gigantic, this fantastic, enormous piece of iron that was designed by Picasso. It's like nine stories across. Did you see it? There is nothing that parallels that in New York. Nothing. Now, did you did you see what 
the, New York's latest big acquisition in the art world is? A 19th century sculptor uh, by uh, a 10th rate sculptor, it's pure camp. And the Museum of, uh, uh, the Metropolitan Museum has made a big issue of this, and it's uh, some statue of this guy, he's Mercury. So he's, they're always Mercury holding aloft the sword, the truth, and, and uh, uh, carrying Medusa's head. Does this stuff produce the, the yawn in you that it does in me? <laughs> you know, or, or uh, uh, there's usually a statue of Apollo, you know, winged Apollo uh, uh, approaching the throne of Zeus, which uh, we need uh, real bad. So, uh, I mean, what would fix out in your traffic? We need that. However, nevertheless, uh, <laughs> This, this, uh, you notice in that, in the, uh, the latest big uh, discussion, Lindsay tried to get back, uh, what was that statue of, uh, was it Diana? Diana? Okay. Well, that's a big issue in New York. But it, it remains for a town like Chicago or Detroit to go out and commission Picasso. Now, why didn't they go and get a great sculptor of our time to do a statue or whatever it is they wanted for the top of the new Madison Square Garden? Well, we go back to the 19th century uh, for the one that was put on top of the old Madison Square Garden. It's totally out of, uh, out of context here. But uh, this, in, in little ways, we show what we really think. So uh, recently, there was a giant hoopla in Chicago about this Picasso bit. You know, this gigantic, it dominates the loop. I don't know whether you've ever seen it, but fantastic. It's painted red, you know, too. It's not <laughs> orange. It's got big purple wings, the whole thing. And there it fits. Well, now, there was another building right a block away from that, that if they put this building in the center of New York City on any given day of the week, there would be riots that would extend all the way to Toronto and would extend all the way into next summer just because of the nature of the building. First of all, have you noticed all the buildings in New York face the street? No matter, they may set them back a little bit or they may set them forward a little bit, but uh, they, and it's very, very controversial in New York. If you set a building back further, like say uh, the, uh, oh, uh, let's say the Lever House is considered at that point, it's a very, very big deal because it was set back. Seagram is set back from the, so that's considered a real avant All you did was widen the sidewalk. That's considered a real big step forward. Well, in Chicago, they put a building right in the middle of it, but it's set at a 45 degree angle to everything else around it. It's set directly at a 45 degree angle and has a huge concave front. So the building looks like, in a, a curious way, the building looks like it's getting ready to jump across the street and uh, engage yourself in a fist fight with LaSalle Street. And it causes a great deal of excitement in that area. You come into that area and immediately there's a peculiar sense of tension in the area. And uh, all the guy did was design a building that was canted on a block. Now, I don't know anything remotely like that in New York City, and yet, uh, yeah, oh, oh, son of a gun. But, uh, and, 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 oh, by the way, I'm going to get thousands of letters now for people saying, what do I have against New York? Not at all. Uh, for all we know, and there's a great deal of evidence that says maybe possibly it might be true, the 21st century, which a lot of these cities are approaching much quicker than New York is, may well be known as the age of the return of the barbarian. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anti-pro, I'm merely pointing out something. But uh, as you go further and further west, you find more and more of the things which bug New Yorkers don't even exist out there. And the things which bug them, New Yorkers couldn't care less. I mean, really. Uh, oh, but then, uh, I mean, we, 
We really shouldn't complain after all. We got Barbara Streisand. And, uh, you know, and that's, uh, <laughs> she always reminded me of the hubcap that they used to have on the party after. Remember that? Well, what was nothing wrong with that? It's a very beautiful radiator on it. What's wrong with that? Yeah, it's made out of stainless steel. So it's Barbara. Well, uh, hang in, gang. Just keep your knees loose. We'll be all right. We'll be okay.